Thanks for coming back this week. This is all the, uh, the faithful, committed people, right? Because it's a really bad morning, and if you're here, you must really want to be here. Uh, and so we're really glad you are. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue in a series we started last week called Be Intentional. But as a little quick follow-up, I hope uh, some of you have enjoyed this past week as we've... Um, started our Bible reading with the Bible, re- uh, the Bible Project. If you've been faithfully going through that and watching the videos, you're already halfway through Genesis, and so that's already a pretty good accomplishment, isn't it? There's all kinds of interesting things in there that people live to be along uh, really old, and they have kids when they're really old, so that's fun. But I, I want to encourage you, too, as you're going through that, one of those things with a Bible reading project kind of like that is, um, even if you're not understanding everything, just go ahead and keep reading it. You know, the, over time, I still read the Bible. And as I was going through Genesis, there's still things that I don't fully understand. Just continue to read, continue to process and engage. And I found uh, for myself as I've spent uh, whatever amount of years, I'm 35, but I spent a lot of intensive years going through the Bible. As I found, like, there are things all the time that I'm reading, and I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that before, or that didn't make sense before, but I think I've got a better grasp on that. And it kind of works as we continually and repetitively engage the Word of God, and it also works as we repetitively engage the Word of God and talk about it with others. And so if you're not understanding everything, I just want to encourage you to not give up. And if you have not started the Bible Project, the reading plan for the year, and you don't already have a system, it is not too late. You could get caught up. I would encourage you out on our welcome center we printed out some extra forms and so if you would like to start reading through the bible and doing it with people who are doing it alongside of you i thought of raising having everybody who did it this past week raise their hand but i thought that was just a bad idea and it just caused judgmental whatevers so i'm not going to do that but i did it this week and let's just continue it together and you can always come up to me any given week and say i read it this week and that was weird Or I read it this week, and that was awesome. I noticed something I had never noticed before. And it's fun to have a pastor knowing you're reading the long side with him. And I've had four or five people already this morning talk to me about what they read. Some were like, I don't understand this. And some were saying, I'm so excited because I saw something I'd never seen before. And all of that is pretty fun to go through as a church community. But this week, we continue our Be Intentional series. And we're in our second week. And our goal with this series is really to begin the new year honestly evaluating our lives. Do we believe our life is moving in the direction we would like to see it go? How much of our life do we feel like we're in control of and how much do we not? Obviously, we can't change the things that we have no control over, but a lot of us have a lot of control over our life. We control what we put in our mouth often if we're eating. We control how much we exercise and move. We control whether we're going to do the Bible reading project. We control whether we turn the TV on or we spend time with our kids and wife. There are all kinds of things that we are making decisions on all the time, and we have control over them. We may not have control over the diagnosis we get at the doctor or what decisions other people make, but there is a lot of our life that our decisions directly affect. And at the beginning of every year, we kind of all take some time, for the most part, to sit down and ask ourselves, are we happy with the way our life is going? Uh, Where do we want it to go? And so we just wanted to kind of leverage the the timing of the calendar to kind of challenge you to be intentional. We all have a picture of our life and what we would like it to look like. And many of us, our lives do not look that way. Sarah and I have talked about this picture many, many times. And when you're married, you have to work that picture out with your spouse. You don't get to define it for yourself. And that, for me, can be really challenging at times. Yeah? Um. 
But we all have this picture, and we recognize that everyone's picture will look different. But if you are like us, you will have noticed that we do small and big things all the time that sabotage us living the picture out that we want to live ourselves. So we all need to learn to be more intentional. And, and by being intentional, just a, a working definition for that, it's saying no to the things that are easy and unplanned so that we can say yes to the things that we value. No to the things that are easy or unplanned so that we can say yes to the things that we really value. And so as we're just talking through this, um, we want to invite you just to kind of join with us in this conversation. Um, as we figure out ways that we can be more intentional, we believe that God gives us a picture of what that looks like, but that it looks different for all of us. And so we are not giving you a picture of what your life needs to look like, your family needs to look like. Um, your issues might be different than our issues that we're working through, or they might be similar, but you have a different plan of how you're going to get there. And so we just want the disclaimer that this is not, we've figured it out, let us share with you how your life should look, okay? What we're doing is we're kind of a mess and we're trying to work it out and maybe you want to kind of try to work yours out too that way. So that's, that's where we're going with this. All right. So there are so many areas that we could focus on. Originally, we were going to start this series. There's this thing I've used in the past and I'm going through with my buddies right now. It's by Zig Ziglar and it's called The Wheel of Life. And it has eight spokes and it talks about if any spoke is flat, you know, your life is going to be a mess. But eight is a lot of things to go through, my wife said. So we decided not to. We. And, and um, we've decided to limit our, our discussion to spiritual life, four areas, spiritual life, self-care, and we looked at those last week, family life, and cultural engagement. So this morning, we've chosen to talk about these two areas. We're going to be talking with you about what does it look like for us to be intentional in our family life, and what does it look like to be intentional in cultural engagement. If you get on Facebook, I'll post that wheel of life. I use that all the time. I, I'm in a group and we do that. And I love those eight areas and you can make goals. I'll post something on Facebook this week so you can make more goals than what's here. But these are the ones that we are going to focus on over these two weeks. We've already covered two of them and we're going to move on today and we're going to start doing cultural life or family life and cultural engagement. Yeah. Yes, we are. So um, <laughs> let, let me just say too, as I go through my uh, pile of books here and go through, we almost need a bigger table now. But, um, but we're not. This is a beautiful table. I love it. Um, we love it. We love it. <laughs> but this has just been an Chris chose the table. Yeah, it's, I love it. <laughs> uh, but this has been such an interesting talk to go through this week. It's been really, really hard. Um, it's been really hard to come together. And like, there have been a lot of times where we haven't really liked each other very much after we have, have planned this just because... Being intentional and talking about what you value and trying to put that together is, is really hard for a family. So anyways, just a little background. It's been a rough week for us working through this. But as we talked about family life, we did come up with some areas that we both agreed on and that we both felt were key. And so we want to just start with a passage from Deuteronomy. And I think it's going to be on there in just a bit. It's on page 145, 145, if you're using this little guy here, which is under one of the seats. Um, you don't have to. You can just listen to me as I read along. But it starts with, in chapter 6, verse 4. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. All right, so the first part of this, I'm going to deal with family life, and Sarah's going to take cultural engagement. So the first half is going to seem a little Pastor Bill heavy, but that's okay. This first passage that we're going through in Deuteronomy chapter 6 is a very, very famous uh, passage for the ancient Israelite. And perhaps it's famous for us today, too, and perhaps you've read it before. This passage here was called the Shema, uh, and it was, it was important because it defined Israelites' uh, most important theological belief that the Lord your God is one. But this text, as we unravel it, we're going to see really two things. It's, but it's going to teach us how we can develop our character, how we develop character, and how we pass it on. And so this morning, the first thing, the thing that we really want to focus on as far as we look at uh, family life is how we develop character in ourselves and in our families, in the families, our, our kids and our spouses. How do we develop character in our families as we are intentional with our family life. Now, as we start, and we're going to look at this passage a little bit more in a second, but as we start, the first thing I want you to notice is that character. What is it? Character is nothing more or nothing less than just the mental and the moral qualities that are distinctive to an individual. A person can have all kinds of character, you know? Uh, sometimes we use this language, that person is a character. Usually we know what they, we mean. They're, they stand out. They're kind of goofy. Or maybe they're just really verbaceous. Uh, all that really means is that they stand out really extremely. Um, we could say a person has very good character. We could say a person has very bad character. All character is, is the mental or moral qualities that are distinctive to an individual, Now, we see, first of all, in this text, what God wants us to do to develop our character. And we see it as it starts in verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. God is saying that we are to give God everything that we have, right? We are to give him all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our strength. And he says these commandments, and obviously Deuteronomy, the context of Deuteronomy is the law. So when you get to Deuteronomy in your Bible reading, and it's going to happen a lot sooner than that, that's a harder section to get through. That's when you need us to help you, you know, just keep reading. You're going to get through this because it's a bunch of law. And most of us don't sit down and read law manuals when we go home. You know, we did that maybe in, uh, in high school or college when we took government. But after that, we don't read a bunch of law in our normal life. But Deuteronomy is all about laws and commandments. And the text says in verse 6, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. In verses 5 and 6, we see something that is crucial to character development. And I think we can forget it so quickly as we try to leave a legacy of character development in our kids and as we try to influence people. But the first thing that Deuteronomy 6 that the author is trying to impress on our hearts is that if we are going to pass on our faith to those around us, to our families and even to others in our spheres of influence, our faith must first be essential and vibrant to us. Our faith must be essential to us. We cannot pass on what we don't have. All the time, I see people and uh, 
passing on to the children is something that's really important to them. You know, they want their kids to grow up and they want their kids to have a strong character. But the thing that I think is the most important aspect is passing on strong character or in our churches, passing on our faith to those around us is that our faith itself is something that we lean on and is vibrant to us. And so if we are wondering, are we leaving a legacy to, uh, to those around us and specifically to our spouses, to our kids, uh, to our families, the question we have to ask first and foremost, according to Deuteronomy chapter 6 is, do you? Do you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind? Do you long for God? As the psalmist says, like you are in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Do you long for God in this way? If you don't long for God this way, why in the world do you think you would be effective at passing on that type of longing to somebody else? And yet, I think all the time in large and small ways, we do this with our families. We do this with our relationships. Um, If I want my kids to have a love for God's word, they need to see that I have a love for God's word. If I want my kids to spend money more wisely than I spent money, then even though I've made mistakes in the past, I need to start spending money wisely, yes? If I want my kids to respect their bodies and exercise, even if I haven't in the past, I need to start respecting my body and exercising. We simply cannot pass on what we don't have. Character starts with us. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. (laughs) Character starts with us. Um, If we do not long for it for ourselves, and what I'd like to impress on, and I, I pray this very, very often. This isn't just pastor speak. I pray, God, make, uh, help me want to want you. Because I recognize in my own life so often my affection and attention is not gravitate towards God. It gravitates towards things that, if I were to say it, are just so silly as to be ridiculous. Sometimes it gravitates towards cooking and food. I really like cooking and food. That's weird, but I know it. I, sometimes it gravitates towards TV Sometimes it gravitates towards uh, friends. It can gravitate towards all things. And all of those things are awesome and good. They're not like sinful things. But I always have to challenge, do my affection and attention, does it belong uh, first and foremost to God? Or does it belong to others? And if the answer is not that it belongs to God, that's okay. But it's not okay to stay there. It's not okay to not evaluate and be moving in a different direction. I have to recognize where I'm at. And I think that's partly, we're going to talk in a little bit about small group, but that's part of the value of small group is small group. We get to come together and talk about where we're really at. And the goal is not just to say, I'm in a really bad place. You are too. Now I feel better about myself. Now we can just stay in a bad place and sing Kumbaya. The reality is to be honest with where you're at, but not to be satisfied with being there. And so if in our churches and our families, if we want to pass on our faith, we have to start with ourselves. But yeah, the- I, just, I just want to pitch in with that, too, and just say the idea is not perfection. Um, because I think some of us struggle with that a lot. I know that I do sometimes. I think, like, of all the therapy bills that my children are going to have later because of the ways that I'm screwing them up, you know, 
seriously, I really do think about like, well, gosh, they're seeing mom do this, and mom says God is like this, but mom is not like God like that, and so I'm really messing them up. Um, so I just want to like, like take that weight off. Like, this is not an encouragement to perfection, so that your kids can grow up and say, see how my parents perfectly lived out their faith. Therefore, I now will do that. Um, it's the idea of just your kids seeing you strive to do it. You know, it's not, it's not getting it right every time. It's just them seeing you trying to do it. So they'll look back and say, yeah, mom and dad messed up, but they were trying. Like, we saw them pursuing God, and when they messed up 400 times a day, they said they were sorry. Um, so anyways, I just, if you're one of those that is like, all right, I've got to be perfect now for the rest of my life, please take that off your shoulders. Yes, yes. Um, and no matter what your past background, I think sometimes we as parents, and I, you know, we can allow what we didn't do in the past affect us from trying to speak into people in the present. Just stop that and start doing it in the present. You can't change what you did in the past, but you can start moving in a different direction. You can be honest with your kids and others about what your past is, and you can be honest about what you're doing to change it. I've done uh, a lot of things that are wrong, a lot less than some and a lot more than others. And finding where I'm at in that continuum, I have found to be an absolutely irrelevant, unhelpful, stupid thing to do. But I have noticed that every single time I do what I am ashamed of later, I did not get blessing, joy, and greater satisfaction from doing it. And so don't be shackled by your past, but move past it with the help of others and speak into people's lives from it. The text doesn't end to just tell us to develop our own character, though. It does tell us about passing it on, about how character is not only developed within us, but how it's developed within others. And we see how it's developed within others in verses 7 through 9. And this passage is also very, very well known. And it's, uh, it's fun because of what it talks about and the language that is used. Impress them on your children, the commandments that God has given us, the things that he has told us to do, the things that he's told us not to do. Talk about them with your children. Impress them on them. Talk about them when... Uh, talk Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the way, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. All this language is meant to be comprehensive. It's figurative language. Uh, It's meant to say, like, do it here, one extreme, and here, other extreme. And what the text is telling us, and everywhere in between. Have a constancy in how you are talking to your kids and those around you about what God means in your life. This is how you pass this on. But notice that the text is also telling us that passing on our faith is something that is both talked about and is something that is modeled. It is something that words are not enough to accomplish. If we simply tell our kids what they should do and say, do as I say, not as I do, our kids are going to struggle. Of course, there's always exceptions, and some turn out fine despite our best intentions, and some turn out horrible. Well, that's pretty strong. But turn out horrible despite the best parenting. But the text is saying you cannot just talk, you must model. But the text is saying you can't just model either. You have to talk. You have to talk with your kids about what you're doing. You have to let them into your life into meaningful ways. It's not enough to read your Bible or pray in the closet and never have your kids see. You've got to have times where your kids see you pray. You have to have times when you teach your kids to pray. You have to have times in church where not only do we pray silently, but we pray together and we pray it loud. We have to have times where we gather to do this. 
we have to talk and we have to model. And if we are to think about how Jesus did this as he discipled his disciples, I love the picture of how he did it. For three and a half years, he called this uh, very diverse group of men to follow him. And the text couldn't be more clear. It's not just men. There were women. They're not one of the 12 disciples, but there were a group of women that followed Jesus. In fact, we're told that some of these women were rather wealthy, and they even were benefactors to Jesus and his ministry. Uh, The gospel author Luke tells us this. But nevertheless, Jesus' disciples for three and a half years walked around. They saw what he did. They saw him interact with people. You'll notice as you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll notice that there are times when Jesus tells parables. And after the parables, the disciples come up to him afterwards and say, I don't really know what you meant. What did you mean? Jesus takes the time to explain it to him. There's times where uh, the disciples see Jesus do an incredible miracle, and Jesus takes the time to explain why he did it and what it means. There's times when Jesus speaks to the crowd, and there's times when Jesus takes his disciples off, and he talks to them individually. Discipleship is really this, uh, this journey of walking with someone side by side. And Deuteronomy 6 teaches all of this, that character matters to us, and we must have, want it for ourselves and pursue it for ourselves if we are to be effective on passing it on. But it also tells us how we are to pass it on. We are to talk, and we are to model, and we are to do these things with consistency and even constancy, wherever we are. Now, as Sarah and I, and this is where we had some hard discussions uh, this week, as Sarah and I were talking and preparing for this, we were trying to talk about, you know, and some of these things we've already done really well, and some of them we want to be more intentional as we go through, but we were talking about what are the things that we really value? What is really our plan as parents, to pass on intentionally our faith to our children. And as we were talking, I think the best way to do this, if you're a couple or maybe um, uh, if you're single, you don't have kids, but if you're si- or maybe you do, but if you're single, you get to kind of have your conversation with you or a friend. But as you have these conversations, I think if you are really going to start to be intentional, you need to have conversations about what you value. What is it you as a family value? As a parent, as a couple with kids, what is it you value? And these things need to be discussed and they need to be put in motion intentionally. And as we were talking about it, there were some things that were really obvious that we both value. And then there were some things we're like, I think you value that a little more than I do on both sides of the equation. But we've come up with three that we mostly completely agree on. So that's good. Yeah. And here they are, and here's our plan. And so this plan is really just illustrative. It's the things that we are trying to do with our children to be intentional. And they are the things that we really, truly do value. The first is authentic faith. If I were to uh, think about my life and how I spend my time and what I want my kids to develop, one of the things I want for them and for me is to have an authentic faith. But if I want my kids and myself to have an authentic faith, then I am going to have to make intentional decisions to carve out margin and time in my life to build an authentic faith. And there's three things, uh, or there's a couple things that we are trying to do intentionally to do this. The first is church involvement. I want for myself and for my kids to be involved in church. Now, that may seem really silly and weird because I'm the pastor. Of course I do. It's my job. If I don't come, I don't get paid. But that's not the issue for me. The issue is church involvement is critical to spiritual growth. I think church involvement needs a couple things that it can offer us that are essential. The first is worship. 
I want for myself and for my kids to regularly come together and worship with other Christians, reaffirming my commitment to God, reaffirming my agreement with God, that he is my God and I am going to follow him. I want to do this just not just because I'm the pastor, but because I recognize it as an essential component of how I will develop in my faith. I want my kids to do it every week, and they don't come into this room, but they go into the other building. And I want them to worship in, in ways that are engaging to them and applicable to them uh, on how, what it means to be in a relationship with God and to affirm that on a weekly basis with others. For them, it's kids. I want second to connect with other Christians, and I need to connect, and I want my kids to see it. It's one of the ways we do this is through small group, but there's other ways you can do it. We need relationships with other Christians around prayer and sharing life and applying the Bible that are intentional. And it's really important to me that Sarah and I have that so that our kids see that we have that, so that they learn as they get older that that's something important and essential for their spiritual growth. I want my kids to serve, and I want to serve, because it's essential to my spiritual growth. I need to be serving others in the community, both in really informal ways, my neighbors, and I want to be serving people within the church to make it possible for people to see the light of Jesus in the world around me. I want to do all of these things through my church involvement, not just because it's my job, but because I want to grow in my faith, and I want to pass on my faith to my kids. And if my kids are actively worship, connecting, and serving, I believe they are going to be in a much stronger place to grow in their faith. I recognize that, uh, I recognize, however, that as much as I want to pass on my faith and I want my faith to be real, that church involvement, as important as it is and as essential as it is, can never be enough. I am really, really happy with the way our kids' ministry is at church. Now, if I wasn't, that would be a bad thing, but I am. Ruth is really great. She's funny, and she does a great job over there with the kids. It's really engaging and relevant. Every week, my kids come home, and they can tell me what the story is, and we talk about what it means. But the truth is, and Ruth and I have had many conversations about this, Ruth can't be enough to grow my kids spiritually. I have to be intentional as a parent to help them develop at home spiritual disciplines apart from church in the same way that I need spiritual disciplines apart from church. It's not enough for me to just worship, connect, serve. I need to also be growing and sharing on my own at home. I need to pray by myself. I have times, need to have times where I'm evaluating and meditating my life. I love the the Bible project, how we've been praying through the Psalms. I need times where I am in the, the word of God for myself to engage God and to deepen that relationship. For us, the way that we're trying to do this with our kids, it's really hard. I work a lot of nights. I have like three out of seven nights where I'm not home, but four out of seven nights a week is our goal. And we try to sit down, and we've done this great at times and not as good at others, but we try to sit down and have a 15 to 20-minute time. We read from the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is one of our favorite resources. Our kids are eight, six, and three, so this is good for them. I want my kids to know the basic Bible stories because it's good for them to see that how God has acted in the past is how he will act again in the future, though maybe not in the same way. So at their age, I just want them to know that, you know, Jonah gets swallowed by a big fish. David kills Goliath with a little stone. Uh, I want them to know all the basic Bible stories, and I want them to, maybe they won't be able to put it all together right now, but I want them to have a foundation 
I'd like my kids, and if, if I'm not, church can help with this. But I've noticed that it's really the parents who work with their kids that learn this stuff anyway. And so I want my kids to know some basic Bible verses. That's where we were trying to put together a plan of which Bible verses we were going to do this year. That's where we really got hung up. But uh, that's ridiculous. But anyway, I created a calendar of the Bible verses I wanted my children to know. And Sarah, like, I would like them to know different verses. <laughs> so we do not have something ready for this morning. But nevertheless, we will. It's coming. We will. It's coming. That'll be fun. And, um, but I want them to know verses. And they learn stuff. At, they learn a verse a month every month at church. But I recognize that I have to take the bull by the horn, so to speak, and I have to start discipling my kids. And I want my kids to know the books of the Bible just so that they have a clue and can get around. But I've noticed even when church has great programs that develop, or in lots of programs to help people learn this, it's usually the kids whose parents help them at home get the job done that learn those things. And so church can be an aid and can push you in the right direction, but I need to do that for myself. Second thing that we have really developed, and I'm going to go through these ones quicker, is work ethic. I want my kids to have work ethic. I want them to do their homework. I want them to learn what work means, that it's serving other people, and I want them to discover what they're good at. Third, I want my kids to learn to value diversity, that everybody has unique and special value, and I want to push them to do this in all kinds of ways. For us, this means we try to travel and see different places. We try to eat different foods, and we try to make relationships with all kinds of different people, both race and uh, socioeconomically. We want our kids to learn that we believe that God believes everyone is special and loves all of us, and that means everybody is lovely and special. Part of the reason we feel this so strongly, too, is the more um, different people you're around and the more situations that your kids are put into, um, for one thing, it kind of tends to grow compassion and understanding a little bit because they're seeing more. And also, it tends to take away the us and them groups that you fall into, and it kind of becomes more of a of a we because you realize that a lot of the things um, that are different are just things on the outside or whatever, and you just realize that it's more of a we, and that, I think that's important. We think that's important. Which is a perfect segue. So you take, I, it's been the Bill Show for a little bit. Sarah's going to, we, we planned it this way, but Sarah's going to finish us up. And she's got a lot of great stuff to share on cultural engagement, which is just what we finished with under why we value diversity so much. Okay, so moving into cultural engagement, um, let, me start, let me start by telling you kind of uh, historically three ways. And let me just say this too. None of this stuff, for the most part, none of it is stuff that we've come up with the top of our head, okay? We have read books, we've listened to people, we've watched some of the way that you guys have lived your lives, and we've tried to emulate that. So we're just standing on people's shoulders for all of this and sharing what's helping us, and maybe this is something that you want to do. Um, We've borrowed from several different books, and again, uh, next week I'll put all of this online, so if you want to look at any of these resources, um, You'll know where we got it from. This is a book that we actually just got, and it's called To Change the World, and it's fantastic. And so some of the ideas that I'm talking about are things that the author, James Davison Hunter, has studied, and so he's put together. So in case you just were thinking I did this big study a week, I didn't. He did. And so I want to just start by saying three of kind of the typical paradigms that we have done engagement, that Christianity has done engagement throughout history. The first has been the idea of defense against. 
And um, that is just the idea of it's us against them, okay? It's the Christians against the rest of the world. It's the secular against the sacred, okay? And so in every arena that this can be played out, it's us against them. That's one typical paradigm that has happened throughout history, and you can go back and, and see examples of that. The second one is relevance to, and that is kind of the idea that basically we're all the same. There isn't any distinctive. There isn't anything different. We all just kind of just kind of get along, and um, there's no difference. There's no distinctive in the Christian faith. And then the third um, major paradigm of engagement or engagement throughout history has been purity from, and that's the idea of just we're pulling back. Okay, we don't like the direction that the world is going to, the system, the institutions, whatever it is, and so we're pulling back. Christians have pulled back. Okay, so those have been kind of the three major paradigms for engagement throughout history, and you can go through and see different ways. And um, kind of the, the argument that this, that this author makes, and part of the way that we think about the way that we want to live our life, has been a different paradigm, an alternative to this, who um, the author calls what he calls a faithful presence, a faithful presence in our community, a faithful presence in our world. And that has an idea of engaging, but it's not an us against them. It's relevant, but we have our distinctives. We strive for purity, but we're not pulling back. Okay, And um, this, this model comes through if you look at the way that God has been faithfully present with us throughout scriptures, it shows the way that he interacts with us. And let me just give you a couple of examples for this. He pursues us. That's clear from the very beginning. He pursues us. And so a faithful presence means he's pursuing. He identifies with us. He's God. He's completely other, and yet he sought to identify with us. And that's what we just got done celebrating for Christmas, the incarnation, when God became man to identify with us in our weaknesses. And then he offers life and hope through sacrificial love. Okay, obviously it cost him a lot to do that. It cost him to interact with us. It cost him to die for us. And so his faithful presence to us has been in pursuit, in identification, and in sacrificial love in which he offers life. You know, and it's kind of interesting, too, if, as you think about God, and you can see as I'm talking about the way God interacts with us, the way it's pretty easy to then see how we could interact with other people. But, um, you know, one of the points that he made is God is completely different from us, and we are different from him, and we were estranged from him, but he didn't regard us as dangerous or dirty or dark and he couldn't come to us, he didn't do that at all. We didn't threaten him or diminish him. He came to us. He entered right into it. And he didn't come to us because he needed something from us. He just desired intimacy with us, and he wanted to, um, to love us. And that's why he came. And so you can see as we take this faithful presence from the way God modeled it into the way we can, that we're doing it a little bit differently. We're not afraid to enter into this. We're not seeing others as dark and dirty and dangerous. And we're not coming to them for anything that we're trying to coerce them to. We're coming to them to love them. That's it. That's the agenda. Love. A theology of faithful presence is one that offers hope and commitment and promise to these people. So if we're, if we're followers of Jesus and we're called to live like he lived, 
when God's faithful presence, what I just said, his pursuit of us, his identification with us, and his um, offering of life through sacrificial love is kind of our model. So what does that look like? What does it look like to live faithfully, to have a faithful presence in our community? And so here's a couple of ideas. It means being fully present with each other inside our faith community and outside of our faith community. It means that we are loving each other. It means that the differences within this church we're holding very lightly and we're holding to the core beliefs because that's what we're going to push forward to people. It means that we're pursuing each other in love. It means that we're being fully present and committed to our tasks. So that means that the work that we do, we're seeing value in it. We're seeing it not just as something to get done, but it's something that's serving God. And we're fully present and committed in our spheres of influence. And this is something that I really get excited about because if you think about all the ways that we are different and all the different spheres of influence that we have and the ways that we can reach out, we can touch everywhere. I mean, we could really touch everywhere. And that's so exciting to me. So think about your families, your neighborhoods, the activities that you volunteer in from soccer games to basketball to soup kitchens to community gardens, whatever it is you're volunteering in, all of those influences, your work, your school, right? All of that. Those are all ways that you have influence and that you can bring forth this life. And then we're going to read Jeremiah 29 in just a bit, but this is one of the things I love about this whole idea of faithful presence too, and I'm sorry, I'm wiggling, I'm excited about this. Um, And this is the idea here. We are called to maintain a distinctiveness, so we are different. We have hope. We follow Jesus. We are different. We are but in ways that serve the common good. And so the whole idea of this faithful presence that we've been challenged with is every decision that we're making, it's for the common good. It isn't just what's always best for our family. Sometimes it's what is best for our community. What are ways that we can engage in and feed into our community and what's best for that? And um, that. That requires faith, and sometimes that's scary because sometimes it means we're stepping out and we're doing something that maybe feels a little bit unsafe, but as we look at it, it seems like it's what's best for the common good, and we're going to try to do that. And we basing, we're basing this off of Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7. Which I'll go ahead and read. We love this passage. In fact, we had uh, Norley Bailey, she even made us a picture that sits in our library in our house. It's huge. And every time we come into our house, we see this ver- these verses as our mission for what our family is supposed to be doing. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in your number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yeah, we really do. We love that verse so much, those verses so much. And, you know, if you listen to it, the whole idea, pray for this city and build into this city and grow into this city, because as it prospers, so will you. And so it's this idea that it's more than just what's best for this little happy Christian family. It's what's best for this community. And part of what's best is us 
reaching into it. That's how we're sharing the light. And um, it's, it's kind of countercultural in some of our, our Christian circles, the way we may have grew up in. And like I said, it requires faith because sometimes it's kind of scary. But it's asking the question, what is good for everybody? What is good for our community, not just, just for us? And so we have a, a little plan of some ways we're trying to do this. Um, our first step is we're trying to redefine work. Okay, redefining work. And, and what I mean by that is we are just um, teaching our kids the difference between, um, well, no, let me start. We are teaching our kids there is no sacred versus secular. Okay, there is no sacred versus secular. There is no job that this is what it means to follow God. And then these are the jobs that you do so that you can make money, so that you can share that money with the people that are serving God. Okay. We totally don't believe that. Everything is sacred. Everything that you're doing is serving God. And so if you're an accountant, that is just as sacred as the person who is a missionary to Africa, who is just as sacred as the person who is teaching a kindergartner in our schools, who is cleaning the, the halls, whatever. That job is sacred. And so we're trying to impress on our kids. Everything you do can be done to God's glory, and it's all it's all sacred work. Do you want to add anything to that? No, you're doing great. Thanks. No, we're kind of liking each other right now. It's improvement. Yeah. 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 We always like each other. No, but... we don't always like each other. <laughs> but we always love each other. <laughs> Just finish it up. <laughs> this is probably the last time we will ever do this. <laughs> The second part of our plan, and this is something that's really important to us, is the idea of having an open home. Um, It was part of the reason we moved into the neighborhood we did. It was part of the reason that we wanted to move into the city here. Um, We see it as a gift to be shared with others, and we really do. And as we walk through our house so many times, we are thankful that the Lord has given us the house that we have and that we're able to use it to have people over. And it's, it's been great. And so we want to have... We want to have our small groups over. We want to have our friends over. We want to have our neighbors over. We want to have our boys' friends and classmates. And we want it to be an open place. Um, If there's someone that needs a meal, we want to be able to, yeah, come in and do that. If there's someone that needs a place to stay, we want to be able to give them a guest room for that. We really just picture our house as a gift, and we want to have it open, and we want to use it for people. And and that's not always easy. Um, That means that our time isn't always our own. You know, I am an introvert, and so it means that a lot of times when I would like to hole up for seven days and and just read a book and not even talk to anybody, I'm not doing that because we see it as a gift, and part of our desire is to have an an open home, to have hospitality. And we'd like to share with you, too, just an idea that hospitality is even more, though, than just having your friends over. Um, I had a professor in seminary a couple of semesters ago who greatly influenced our view on cultural engagement. And, um, and he says, scriptural hospitality is inviting people over who need our love and who are unlikely to ever repay us. Okay, It means loving strangers. And so it's certainly the idea of having all of you wonderful people over and having all of our good friends over, but it's even more, it's the idea of thinking like our house is a gift to be used and nobody will maybe ever repay us for the things that we will do, and that's how it should be because that's how it is with God towards us. 
And then the last idea of a part of our plan is having open hands with our kids. Um, we really couldn't think of a better way to define that. So, so I'm just going to kind of be doing like this while I talk, and so maybe you'll sort of get the picture of what I mean by open hands with our kids. But that is, it's encouraging our children to have a faithful presence too and trying not to operate out of fear. Okay, and um, I just want to read you a section from my professor's book here that really influenced us. Um, that I think I was taking this class last last year, and we were thinking about this, and we were talking about all this, and when I came up to this, it was just, it was one of those moments that I just kind of put the book down and really had to think and pray because it challenged me so much with the way we viewed our children. And since he is such a good way of explaining it, I'll let him do it. So this is what we mean by having open hands with our kids. If your children are at a school with kids from unbelieving families, encourage them to make friends with them, to love them, to invite them into your home. If they go to a Christian school or a homeschooled, encourage them to get to know the kids in the neighborhood, to make friends with them, to love them, to invite them into your home. You cannot teach children to keep apart from unbelievers until they are 21 and then teach them to suddenly change the habit of a lifetime and start loving non-Christians. There is not one set of commandments for believers who are 6 or 12 or 16 and another set of commandments for believers who are 21 and over. All of God's children of whatever age are called to be like him. And so he goes on to share how his wife... And he opened up their home and had so many of their kids' friends over. And he says, some of these young people are from broken homes, from homes where there is little love, from situations of drug abuse or severe sexual sins or even serious crime. Did we worry about our children getting to know children from such contexts? Of course we did. But we prayed and continue to pray. We talked to our own children carefully about the temptations and challenges they faced and continue to face, just as we do. We sought to love and continue to try and love these young men and women. And so he concludes and he says, Be glad for such friends for your children. Do not be afraid. God is able to care for his children and to make them a blessing to other people, even if at times they have to struggle through some deep waters during the voyage of their faith. And so if that, if that makes sense to you, what I mean by open hands with our kids, we want to be able to encourage them to have a faithful presence and to not be operating out of fear. And as a parent, that's so easy to do because there's a lot of things that are scary out there. And as they get older, the things just get bigger and scarier, don't they? And we're not even there yet. But we are praying and trying to operate out of open hands with our kids. Um, for us, and this is just for us, and again, I, I keep throwing this in because this is not the way it has to be for everybody. For us, a couple of these choices have been sending our kids to public schools and moving into a city neighborhood. Okay, Those are just for us. It'll look different for each of us in here. But these have been ways that we've actually been able to check off several boxes that, of values and things that are important to us. An authentic faith, value and diversity, and then, to asking ourselves, what is best for the common good with our kids, with the presence that our kids can have, and then engaging with an open home and open hands with our community. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your love that you've shown us in Jesus. We thank you for a love that is pursuing us, identifying us, 
identifying with us and offering us life through your sacrificial love that you showed for us on the cross. I pray that you might fill us with a vision of who you are so that we might carry that same vision to our communities and our world around us. Give us a deep love for you and change us through the process. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Why don't you go ahead and please stand with me for the benediction. I have three announcements to make before I uh, give it. The first is we have our small group sign-up table out in the lobby. And if you are interested in a small group, we've talked a lot about this, and you haven't already gotten in one, we would love for you to see the table, and somebody can help point you in the right direction. We have a list of the groups that will be starting on January 22nd, the week of. And uh, you can take a look at those, and we can answer any questions you might have. Second, next week, we have a special guest speaker coming in. His name is Steve Dunmire, and he's from Houghton College. Uh, This was a week we planned right at the beginning of the year. Uh, Every week is so busy, and Chris and I have noticed that we just need some time to reflect. And so this coming week, you can pray for us. We are just going to take some time to reflect on where we want to take the church in this next year. But as a result of that, it takes a lot of time to get ready for Sunday mornings. We have planned out this whole week so that we can do nothing but have discussions around that topic. Where is God calling us for this next new year? And we've got plans and things that we're working on. So in the new year, we'll be doing this. This coming week, you can pray for us. But next week, Steve Duntenmeyer from Houghton College will be here. And then on January 22nd, the following week, we are going to be starting a brand new series entitled Free. It's going to last 10 weeks. And we're just going to be starting at the beginning of Galatians and working our way through. The Galatians is all about freedom. And through that series, we're going to see how we can truly be free in Christ. There may be times where we feel like we're free in life and we make all kinds of free decisions, but the only way we can truly be free is if we have the desire to do something, the ability to do it, and then here we have a lot of a desire and ability to do an awful lot. But we also have to be able to walk away from whatever we've chosen with our desire and ability unscathed, without consequences. And that's what Galatians teaches us about. And so on January 22nd, we are going to be starting a series called Free, all about the book of Galatians. Let me now give you the benediction. Now, to God Almighty, whose plans for us do not end in death, to our Lord Jesus Christ, who entered into our world so that we might enter into his, to the Holy Spirit, who works constantly on our behalf, be all of our praise and all of our love until we meet him face to face. Amen.